Hey, y'all. You're listening to How I Got Here with Drina Whitfield, the podcast that dives deep into the unique journeys of some of the dopest entrepreneurs, business leaders, and personalities I know. I'm your host, Drina Whitfield. I created this podcast to have real, honest conversations about the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. Grab your notebook, sit back, relax, and catch these gems. So I am here today with one of my favorite, favorite people who I call in the midnight hour when I have business questions, when I have PR questions, when I have life questions. My good friend, Dawn Kelly, she is the founder and CEO of the Norris Spot, Inc. I had to make sure I get the ink that she opened up in 2017 with her two young children after she had a 35 plus year career in the PR and marketing. That's how me and Dawn came to know each other. I love her. She's one of the most dopest publicists that I know and has really helped, you know, kind of mold me into the PR maven that I am today. But I want to take it back a little bit. I want to talk about how we met. Dawn and I met when I was really first starting out my business with PR we, she was working at Prudential Financial at the time, downtown Newark. I had just launched my business and we just met by chance, right, Dawn? We- well, actually, I don't think it was by chance. And thank you <laughs> so much, Drina, for <laughs> inviting me to be on your podcast. So I feel real fortunate today because, you know, it, we're in a time when we reflect and we look back at how we manage our life. And especially um, last year, 2020, a pandemic year that Mm -hmm. um, also found us African-American women and men in a quandary because it was almost like we were battling two pandemics, the racism that we've been battling forever for over 400 years, and then a scientific virus, right? So um, I'm glad to have this time to talk to you. You know, you and I, I'm glad to have you as a friend as well as a mentee. And that brings me to how we met. So I spent nearly 16 years of my career working at Prudential Financial in Newark, New Jersey. And um, it was a great job. I got the opportunity to do a lot of wonderful, impactful things. And one of which I think is working with you and your client, your former client, Tiffany the Bajanista. So how we met was my colleague, Alicia Rogers Austin, who actually still works for Prudential. Shout out to Alicia. She came to my office and she told me that she was going out to lunch. And Alicia and I, while we were, you know, we were colleagues, we were also friends. And so I said to her, I want to come. I want to (laughs) go. And she said, oh, well, I'm meeting with a woman that I met online, Um, her and her client, they're coming in. And I think they might be good for this project that we were working on because we were working on the first ever survey about African-American and financial research. And so I said, yeah, well, I would love to meet meet them. And so I actually, you know, kind of <laughs> bogarted my she way. She devoted her way to that you know, meeting. <laughs> a New York way. I just bogarted my way into the meeting with you. And then you introduced me to Tiffany. And I would say 
It was all she wrote from me. You nor Tiffany could get away from me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I really appreciate you deboing your way into that meeting. Because for me, when I started out my career, I hadn't seen any Black women really in the PR industry. And so to meet Alicia online, we actually met on like Instagram or Twitter or something crazy. And then to meet you who... You are just like a firecracker. You have such a New York swag to you. Remind me of my mother because my mother's from Harlem. And, you know, New York women just different. You know what I'm saying? They have. (laughs) Our Harlem girls are way different. So I didn't know that you and your mother, you, I mean, your mother and I had Harlem in common because I am a Harlem baby. I I was actually born in Harlem Hospital. And I lived in Harlem until I was about three or four years old and then my parents moved us into Queens and I've been in Queens pretty much the remainder of my life with a short stint in DC when I went away to college. You know, you just have you just have a way about you that I admired when I was like first starting out. I still admire it to this day because you don't let nothing, you know, get to you. You have that armor of God around you and you just also just built up like this thick sin. And I, I, you know, I attribute that to you being from New York, of course, but also just because, you know, our industry is a very, very hard industry. And for a sensitive, like, sap like me, who used to cry all the time, it was just, you know, breathtaking to see someone like you who had so much power and authority in the work that she was doing. So I really do appreciate you coming to that lunch meeting, even though you're always like, I Debo my way. (laughs) (laughs) But I want to talk a little bit about how you got into the PR industry, how you were able to successfully, you know, work in that field for so long and then your pivot. Because, you know, when you pivot and you start something brand new, it's scary as hell, especially if you don't know what you're doing and you don't have a clear roadmap. So I want to talk about all of that stuff. I want to take it like all the way back. So when you were when you were in high school, Dawn. Okay. So when you think about high school, when you're graduating, you know how you have that question in the yearbook, like, Dawn, where do you see yourself in 10 years? What did you write down? Like, what did you write? I see myself in 10 years doing X, Y, Z or being at X, Y, Z place. I actually saw myself as an attorney. So when I was in high school, I um, was enamored with the story of Thurgood Marshall. Because as a child of the 60s, I grew up watching black and white TV and watching black people being abused by white people in power. So mostly police officers and sheriffs and marshals and in some cases, even the military. Mm. And so Thurgood Marshall for me was a hero because He was first an attorney that was actually taking up the cases and the causes of civil rights. But then he actually made it to become a Supreme Court justice. And he was like a first. And Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm a first because I'm the eldest in my family. I was the first person to go away to college. And so I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to an attorney. I wanted to represent people that couldn't represent themselves. But as an individual, as the first person going to college, 
I really didn't even know, you know, all that was involved, you know, and actually attending a school outside of New York City. I was fortunate enough to be accepted into Howard University, which was my second choice. My first choice actually was Cornell University. And um, I got accepted into both schools. And I'll tell you, because I knew that Thurgood Marshall had walked on the grounds of Howard University, I chose Howard. Mm. Once I got on campus and, you know, learned that you had to take two additional years after your undergraduate year to be an attorney, I wasn't quite sure that I was going to be able to do that because funding, resources. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have the money. My parents didn't have the money. And I just couldn't see how I was going to afford it. Mm -hmm. So it was in college. I was in college when I made the pivot to decide that I was going to do something different. Kind of shout out to all the HBCU grads, too, because, you know, I went to HBCU, too. Yes. And so when you got to Howard, when did you decide, like, you know what, this poli sci major is not for me? Was well, it when, once you found out, like, you had to do the extra two years or once you got into, like, the classes? Because for me, I don't even know if you know this, Dawn. <laughs> I was a poli sci major, too, going into college. Oh, my God. Yes. I, I wanted to be a lawyer. And I still love the art of storytelling, too. So I was like, how could I do both? But I remember I took a, my freshman year, I took a poli sci class and I got in. I was like, yeah, dog, the same for me. The same, <laughs> the same for me. I need something a little bit more like creative and like, so immediately I changed my career. I mean, my uh, major to communications. And then that's when I learned about all of the different elements, the comms. And, you know, I took, of course, of course, took a course in a PR and that's when I fell in love with it. But what about you? Like when you stepped on Howard's campus, when did you decide, like, you know, I really want to get into comms, into the comm school? Because Howard has, like, a pretty dope comm school. Yes, it is. not the top. Wine, I was, was about to say. I know you was. All you Howard grads, you always got to be the age you to really. Okay. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Not no shame. Howard actually has one of the best communication schools in the country, maybe in the world. And definitely now more so than ever mm-hmm. before because of all of the partnerships they have with all of the major networks and um, cable companies. But I would be, to be perfectly honest, I did not make that pivot while on campus initially. So I went ahead and I took my poli-sci classes because I'm an optimist and I always like, you know, hold on to hope. And so I, what I did was I started taking African-American studies classes because again, as a child of the sixties, you know, they weren't really teaching anything about black history in school other than the fact to tell us that we were slaves, right? Or that they, they had enslaved us, right? But that was pretty much it. You know, maybe they told us about George Washington Carver, who, you know, created the peanuts. But that that pretty much was it. And so I realized when I got to Howard University that I was standing I was standing at the Mecca. You know, we had the Moreland Spingarn Library, which pretty much houses anything and everything you want to know about Africans, African-Americans, Africans of the diaspora. Right. And so I spent a lot of time 
in those stacks. And so what I did was change my major to African-American studies with a minor in political science and Spanish. And so that's how I graduated. Oh, so you didn't even have a degree in comms. No. So what happened happened was, though, in my last year of college, money got tight. And honestly, I dropped out. And what I did was I started working for AARP, which is the American Association of Retired Persons in Washington, D.C. And AARP actually had a college reimbursement program. So after working for them for about a year, I applied for the program, the college reimbursement program, and I got it. And so I returned to school to finish. And the first mm. one, I only had two more classes to take. And oh, wow. so while I was taking those classes, now I'm working full time. And so um, I'm, my head is up and I'm paying attention to what's going on around me. And I really enjoyed what I was doing, which was state legislation work. I was kind of like a glorified secretary, but still it was fun. I was interacting with legislators across the United States, traveling to different um, state capitals and helping the people that I was working with advocate for older Americans in state capitals. So I really mm-hmm. enjoyed that. And then they would start giving me, you know, you in college. So, you know, writing came naturally. Yep. And so they would give me like little projects to work on, writing projects, and I would always ace them. Like, you know, after I would give them to the respective person, they would be like, oh my God, this is so great. We got to get this done. And so what happened was one day I went to HR and I asked them about um, how do I figure out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life? Because I knew I was getting ready to get out of college. I had to pay these loans, right? Because I right. had student loans. I did get some scholarships, but I also had student loan uh, debt that I needed to pay. And so I went to HR and I asked them to help me figure out what vocation that I would be good at. Okay. Because I knew by that time I wasn't going to go to law school. And so um, they gave me this Myers-Briggs test. I don't know if they still give it now, but back then they gave you a test. It's kind of like a personality test, a psychology test. And once you take the test, it gives you this acronym. But back then, right, because I'm older, back then they also gave you a list of vocations where your acronym, I think I was an INTJ or ENTJ, where you would fit and where you would excel. And so maybe there was about 30 or 40 different vocations on this list. One I remember was teacher. And I've always felt like I could be a good teacher. But again, I was looking to pay student loans back. And even at that time, I didn't feel like teachers were receiving the compensation that they deserve. Even today, they're not you know, they're teaching the future. They should be paid a lot of money. Okay. Um, And so I had to quickly rule that out. And then they had some, they had a singer on there. I can't even sing in the shower. (laughs) Uh, I can't do that. And I would tell you, Brina, I was getting closer to the end 
And I was becoming despondent because I really wanted to figure out what to do. I didn't, I knew I wasn't going to be a secretary for, you know, for the rest of my life. And I didn't want to be a glorified administrative specialist either. I wanted to, I wanted to have a substantive job and I wanted to make an impact. And so I got down to almost the end of the list and I saw something that said public relations practitioner. And it intrigued me. Mm. And I'm like, what is that? Let me look it up. You know, you in college, right? Or let me go look it up. And so back then, the ladies' magazines used to have this thing where you could get three books for a penny, right? Again, I'm dating myself, but I. Um, and so I love to read. I've always loved to read, even when I was a child. And so I'm looking through this thing on my lunch break one day and I see this book in there called the publicity kit, right? So I'm like public relations practitioner, publicity, this thing must this must be the same thing. Let me order this book. So I ordered that book and two others cost me one cent, no joke. Wow. And I read that publicity book cover to cover. I highlighted it in yellow ink. I still have it today. Do you? Yes, ma'am. And and what I did was I started applying the learnings to the work I was doing every day at Prudential. Wow. Excuse me, at AARP, I'm sorry. And what happened? A job came up on the internal posting board for a assistant media liaison. Okay. Now I kid you not. I had no other experience in this vocation other than attending Howard University, reading that book and doing the work that I was doing for AARP. I applied for the job. I also asked many of the people that I was working with or for to provide me with a reference to the internal hiring person. They all did. And I got the job. And I was that I got the job and I never looked back. Come on. I got better and better because I joined the National Association of Black Journalists. So I was able to interact with I mean, big name journalists and PR professionals. I joined the Black Public Relations Society and Oldfield Dukes, who was the first ever Black man to work in the White House doing PR, became my mentor. Wow. Okay. How did that happen, though? Like, how did that happen? Well, how that happened was I joined the Black Public Relations Society because now, you know, I get this job. I want to excel. I said to you earlier, I'm the first in my family to go to college. I'm the eldest. You know, I'm a competitor. I played like competitive softball when I was a teenager. So I like to compete and I like to win. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so if I don't have what I need to win, I will seek it out, whether it's learning, whether it's individual, whether it's, you know, whatever it is. And so I knew that joining the Black Public Relations Society would put me in company with other 
African-Americans, male or female, that were practicing communications and marketing and public relations. And so I got AARP to pay for my membership. And then I went to those meetings regularly. I never missed one. And I interacted with all the people that were in the meeting. And Ophel Dukes was the head when I joined. And so I'm just you know, introduced myself to him. I told him what my dreams were. Similar, I would say similarly to how you and I interact. You tell me what you wanted. I try my best to help you make it happen. And that's exactly what Oldfield Dukes did for me. Okay. I told him that I had gotten this job, that I really wasn't, you know, a hundred percent sure of what I was doing, that I would need somebody to help me to, you know, to lean on. And he was willing and he said, yes. And he gave me his phone number and he told me to call him anytime I wanted. And I would, and he would help me do whatever I did. And I did that. I used that. In addition to him, Terry Williams. Mm. Um, Terry Williams, there was a big article in the Washington Post about Terry Williams because she had taken on a former mayor of, of Washington, Sharon Pratt Kelly, no relation. She had taken her on as a client. And the article in the Washington Post was just like so awesome just to read about a black woman from New York who was doing what I was wishing to do. Drina, I wrote to her. Did you? Like you wrote a a letter? Mail, mail, letter. I put, I hand hand wrote a letter because remember, you know, when I was younger, we weren't using uh, computers. We were using typewriters, okay? (laughs) And and I put it from paper and a stamp, okay? And so I wrote that letter to her. And, you know, I I didn't really believe that she was going to respond, right? I didn't. I just was like, you know, you know, little black girl. So what did you say in the letter though? Oh, in the letter, I might have that. I might have it somewhere. But I wrote something like, "I read about you in the Washington Post. I want to do exactly what you do. You know, how do you do that? You know, could I come see you when I come to New York? You know, I'm a Howard University student. Just all of that. And would you believe? A couple of weeks later, I got a letter back and a signed copy of her book. And in that letter, she said to me, whenever you come to New York, call me. That's all it said with her phone number. So no joke, that Thanksgiving, I came home to New York to be with my family. And I'm home with my mom, say like, you know, after Thanksgiving, because you're home for a couple of days. So I called Terry's office. I'm like, I'm home. I'm in New York. Let me see if she really going to let me come see her. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I called her office. A young man answered the phone, who who I'm still friends with today, Ryan. Ryan answered the phone. I said, hi, my name is Dawn Kelly. I am, um, I, I think I said I'm a fan of Terry Williams. She sent me a book and she told me. And the next thing I heard was, hey, you in New York? I was like, well, wait, wait, wait. Terry? <laughs> he was like, hi, this is this Dawn? I said, yes. That, like, yes, yes. Wow. And he said, you in New York? And I said, yes, I'm home. I'm home with my mom. She said, well, you know where I'm at? 
She said, you know where <laughs> Because, you know, I wrote the letter. So I know the office, right? Yeah. She said, you know where I'm at. You come see me any day. Any day you down in Columbus Circle area, ring the bell. We will let you upstairs. I said, okay, okay. And I'm the office in Columbus Circle? Yes. And my mother lived in the Bronx. And so... I got on a train. I got. I asked my mother for some money because you know college yep. we always broke. I asked my mother for some money. She asked me what I was good ready to do. I told her. She said, "Okay, you know, have a good time. I hope you know. Hope it's you know what you wish it to be." And I went to Terry's office, and from that day, she never let me go. Aww. I've always had Terry in my back pocket, and so. What I want to say to you is they helped me. They taught me how to do PR. Terry would call me and she would say, you home? I'm like, yes. She's like, meet me at Madison Square Garden. And and I would go there and she would put me to work. And, and she would just do that, do this, do that, do this, do that. And I would just do whatever she said to do. I would just do it. Okay. And then after the fact, if I had questions, I could ask her. She'd tell me, okay. You know, I even learned why she had cut her hair short because she was like, I don't have time to be yeah. <laughs> Okay. When it's go time, it's go time. And so, you know, I appreciated that. And so when I got to Prudential, now, you know, that ARP that helped me out, I did some great work there. My best thing at AARP was I earned AARP its first ever editorial in the New York Times. Really? Come on and brush your shoulders off because I know. Yes. I know. You was feeling yourself after that. That, First of all. Uh, all, How old were you? Were you like still fresh out of college? Were you that? I was in my 20s. Come on. I was in my 20s. And you were definitely feeling yourself. Yeah. yeah. This, is, this is the crazy part. And this is, I'll tell you, this is the crazy part because I was actually reporting to a gentleman. And you know, this is my story. So I'm going to tell my story. I was reporting to a gentleman that was stealing. He was always telling the bosses that he was doing my work. Okay. Uh, and so, uh, and so, well, I had the best weed. We had the best big boss, right? So the big boss was a woman. Her name was Martha Welsh. I will never, ever, ever forget her. In fact, um, just the other day, she and I were um, interacting on LinkedIn, right? So Martha, Martha Welsh was a white woman with twins, okay? And she was older than me, right? But she liked me, right? She's the one that actually hired me for the for the PR job, right? Mm-hmm. To get job. And so when I would go home at night, you know, I would do my work on my computer and I would send it to her. And one night she said to me, you need to go to bed because how you going to get up in the morning and we need to work? And I said, I need to make sure you have this because Peter is always telling you, that was his name. He's always telling you that he did my work and I need you to know that I'm the one doing it, giving it to him and then he's giving it to you. And so do you know that that lady from that day forward, she allowed me to make sure I gave him my work first so that when Peter would say, oh, I did this, she'd be like, no, you didn't. 
because me and Dawn was going over this last night. So she was one of the best, like uh, one, of first, one of my first sponsors ever. And I will forever be indebted to her as a woman because she knew what women went through in the workplace and she was a sponsor for me. And that's I- amazing. It's hard to find sponsors like that. It's and and it's it's amazing that you found it. You found her at such a young age uh, yes. to be your sponsor yeah. because that happens to so many young girls, especially young black girls yes. who have white male bosses or white female bosses who try to try to take credit for their work. Trust me, it's happened to me. That's just amazing that you had that and you still yes. keep in contact with her. Yes. I'm telling you, relationships, and I think you know this about me, relationships matter the most to me. Yep. Okay. And that rang true to me. I'm, and I know I'm skipping all over the place, but as I rose the ladder at Prudential, I would tell you that I started doing international work and traveling all over the world. And one of the countries that I used to travel to like regular, it was almost like me going to New York. I was always in Japan, like always in Japan. And But I learned something from the Japanese. The Japanese would not do business with you if they didn't have a personal relationship with you. Relationship mattered first. And so I had to make friends with my Japanese colleagues. They didn't even want to talk to me about work. How your family, how your children, you know, how you feeling. They wanted to first find some common human element between us before that they before they would do work. And so it's important that the people that poured into you, the people that helped you on the way up the ladder, that you stay in contact with them mm-hmm. and that you tell them thank you often. There's another person that I need to say. So not only did not only did Martha Welsh help, help me Her boss, this is when it gets good, girl. Her boss boss was a man named Bob DiFilippo. And then his boss was a man named Mr. Holland, James Holland. I will never forget these people. So Bob left the company. Bob left AARP. Mm -hmm. And did Bob um, end up? He ended up as the chief communications officer of Prudential Financial. Is that how <laughs> is that how you came to Peru? Yes. Oh, yes. Look so, at that. So, and, th- and this is the great thing. So here I am, young, same wild, crazy person. Speaker, <laughs> you know, I was always telling people, we ain't supposed to do it like that. You're not supposed to do it like that. No, no, don't talk to me like that. So I sometimes would be in little tense friction with mm-hmm. My bosses. But you know what? What they told me after the fact is that me standing up for myself made them respect me. Okay. And Bob, I would tell you that one day Bob yelled at me in a meeting and I didn't like it. This was at AARP and I did not like it. And again, he must have been about 40 something. And here I am, you know, 25, (laughs) you know, wet behind the ears. And he yelled at me. And so I kind of shut down in the meeting, right? But after the meeting was over, I went straight to his office, okay? And his secretary was like, oh, uh, I, uh, <laughs> what? 
you should go cool down. And I'm like, you don't get to tell me what to do, okay? You just tell him I'm out here, okay? <laughs> sure, enough, sure enough, he came. He invited me in his office. And he and I really did have a tense conversation. But when I walked out the room, Bob told me that I he never, he always wanted us to be tight and that he was going to teach me anything and everything that I needed to know in order to be one of the best PR pe- people in the nation. And guess what? Wow. <laughs> I love that. And so that's how I got to Prudential. One day I was working at York. So, oh, so after I left ARP, I decided I got married. I got divorced. I had babies. <laughs> <laughs> Not in that order, but. Um, and so I moved back home to New York City because I really had gotten tired of the DC scene. You know, if you're not in advocacy work, if you don't like you know, uh, interacting with the legislative people, then DC really is not the place for you, right? Mm-hmm. In New York, you can kind of do all of that, right? You can do all of that. It's the, you got policy, you got entertainment, you got education, yeah. like everything is in New York. And, you know, as a young New Yorker, and again, I'm aging myself, I used to always um, love that girl. I don't know if you know that TV show, but Marlo Thomas, she was a, she was one of the first women on TV that had a job and she would come out in the middle of the street and throw her beret in the sky. And it was just all about her being successful. And I wanted to be successful. And I also kept hearing Frank Sinatra in my it. If you can make it then... (laughs) I mean, that's true. Like, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. So I'm like, if I'm going to be a professional, especially in PR, I'm taking my butt home. Okay. And I got fortunate. I was hired before I even got to New York by uh, York College, which is one of the four year colleges of the City University of New York. I went to work there and I worked there for six years. And the whole time that I was at York, I was sending Ophil, Terry, Bob, snail mail of all of the different articles and and work that I was doing for York as a thank you. And also to show them that the teaching that they gave me, it, it, it didn't just evaporate. It actually was working and I was excelling in my roles. So I love that. I also mentioned to you that I I joined all these organizations in DC, right? Mm-hmm. Like PR Society, NABJ, uh, Public Relations Society of America. So you know what? When I got to New York, I joined the New York chapters. I joined the New York Association of Black Journalists. I joined the uh, Black PR Society, all of them, and I got involved where people knew my name. Okay, and so. One day I was at a luncheon for PRSA and it's funny, I was on the luncheon committee. So I, you know, I helped pick the host. I helped pick the table, the Mm -hmm. food that we're going to eat, you know, the gift bag. But I didn't know anything about whose work was going to be honored, right? So me and the team, we're sitting at the table, sitting at the table, listening to them call the honorees. And I swear, I heard them say, 
Bob T. Filippo picking up for Prudential. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Did they just say Bob T. Filippo? Because I hadn't seen him in years, okay? You know, we was passing mail, but that was I I hadn't seen him face to face. And so they said, I think they, my my friends at the table said, we was all talking doing, I think they might have said that. So I'm like, I got to go. So I got (laughs) to go. Because, Gina, you know this about me. I study people, okay? Mm -hmm. And so I remembered that Bob smoked cigarettes. I remembered about Bob that if they just won this big award, I know that wherever he works at, he's going to call them and tell them that they won the award. So you know what I did? I went and stationed myself by the back doors, right? Because I'm like, he's going to see me today. We're going to talk today. Because, because I was looking for a better job, right? Mm-hmm. I had been in York for six years. My kids were at the age where I could start traveling again because I, I had the travel bug now, right? Mm-hmm. And now that I knew that a, a company would pay for you to travel, I'm like, oh, whatever job I get, they got to, like, I have to be. <laughs> <laughs> and so I stood at the back door, and sure enough, God is amazing. Here comes Bob walking past me. Now, I looked a little different because the last time he saw me, I was like eight months pregnant, right? With my uh, uh, So, you know, I look different because I'm now, you know, I'm cute. And, you snatched. And uh-huh. snatch, you know. So he walks past me. So I said, hi, Bob. And like, he kind of looks at me and he keeps going, right? So I said, now one thing I got to say, <laughs> I'm the same. I'm the same. I'm the same. I said, Oh, for real? That's what we do. <laughs> you just gonna walk, walk past me? You now, how, now, how old was Bob here? How old was Bob here? He probably was in this. So this is this is like what nine years later. So he probably was almost fifty, and I was in my thirties, right? And I said, "You just gonna walk past me like that?" And so he turned around. He stopped. And he turned around and he looked at me and he said, oh, my God, Dawn Kelly. Oh, he said, he said, are you still at my college? And I said, yes, sir. And then I said, make me off. I can't refuse. And he did. <laughs> he offered you the job on the spot. Not on the spot. He handed me his card, right? And he said, give me a call. Give me a call. Right that. So I'm like, okay. Took his card. I went back to my table. I was all happy, you know. Then I went back to the office. Now, I'm not going to kid you. You know, as I took the train back to Queens from Manhattan, you know, all kinds of things went through my head. And I was just like, hmm, maybe he's just being nice, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, nice white man is being nice, right? He probably, <laughs> you know, he probably not even going to accept my calls when I call, right? I got back to my office and I just was happy. I'm telling you, I was just happy at him remembering me and us having the interaction. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't really putting any promise into what was going to happen the, tomorrow, right? But girl, I said, I pull that card out. I say, you know what? Nothing beats a failure but a try. I'm a call. I called his office and his secretary, her name was Geraldine DeFrino. 
I will never forget this lady. I love that you remember all of these names. Larry said to me, I said, hello, my name is Dawn Kelly. She said, you don't have to say another word. When are you coming to see us at Prudential? She said, Bob came back talking all about you. She's like, we want you here, dear. So you let me know when you're available. Girl, I started spinning in my chair like I was <laughs> Really? I mean, do you know how that felt as a as a black woman for these people for for her to know who yeah. I was, okay? And for her to be so chipper about the possibility of me joining the team, okay? Now I got to make you laugh. I'm spinning around in my chair and I'm like, "Oh, reality hit me." Prudential's in New Jersey. <laughs> I live in New York. New York, but New Yorkers always have an issue with coming to Jersey. Always. No, but I know, I know you live in you lived in Queens. But I right. just had to put that out there. Yeah, and and I'll be honest, I never really like interacted in, like went to Jersey, so I didn't even know how I would get there, right? I don't I knew I wasn't gonna be driving every day, so I'm just like, hello. What am I thinking? Like, how am I, how am I gonna get there? So that was number one, thinking like, how the hell am I gonna get to Jersey every day? Like every day. And then number two, I'm like, and you got two kids. Like, what are you doing? Like, what? Hey, baby. <laughs> and so I pray, and I I know I've told you this. I I love Jesus Christ. Okay, and you know I'm not perfect, but I'm perfect in my faith. Okay, mm. and so I just said to God, listen, you make that happen because that's how I told you. You make that happen. You done, you done made me see Bob. Okay, and now I'm all like, oh, I want to work at Prudential. How am I going to get that? I don't even know how it's going to happen. God, help me, help me, help me. So really, I, I was like doubting the whole thing, mm. right? Just right there saying this ain't going to work. Even though this lady being nice, even though Bob has said all this great stuff, this ain't going to work. So I said to her, I'll call you back. I'll let you know when I could come. Hung up the phone and kind of was like, eh. I'll let you know when I could come. Yes. I was like, eh, pipe dream, right? So the next day, I didn't call them. Jerry called me back. She's like, Bob really wants you to come. Can you come tomorrow? Can you come the next day? Like she's like, I'm not hanging up until we have a time and a date. I said, okay, okay. So I made I I made the date with her. Made the date That's with her. Wild, Dawn. Do you, do you realize how wild that is? I'm no, telling you, there are no jobs calling people back after you didn't told them. Well, I'll call you back when I uh, when I think about the day I could come. Ain't nobody calling you back. No, no, she called me back. Okay. And so, and so this is, this, this is the piece. So I'm like trying to decipher in my head, like how this can happen. But in the meantime, some of my former high school friends had invited me to lunch. See, I'm telling you how you got to pay attention to the signs. I hadn't seen these women in like 25 years. But I'm like, I'm going to go, right? I'm going to go because it's nice to catch up with people mm-hmm. that you haven't seen. And they wanted to meet in a steakhouse. I can't remember the daggone name because they don't even exist anymore. That 
was near my kids' school. Because one of the reasons why I didn't think it was going to work was I didn't know how I was going to get my kids to school every day because I drove them myself every day to school. And so I'm sitting in the window eating my food and my, you know how my, my attention just got grabbed outside. So I just happened to turn my head. And when I turned my head, I saw that the bus is the 60 bus, the M60 bus that stops right near my house actually went right there by my kid's school. So what did Dawn do? Every single weekend, me and my kids caught that bus and I taught them how to get to school every single weekend until I said yes to the job. And not only did Bob, so this is, I'm telling you, not only did Bob give me a job, but he also taught me something. So they offered me the job. You know, I had went on the interviews and all of that stuff. And I, I'm telling you, I was amazed at corporate America. Like I never thought that I would work in corporate America. I thought I would be a nonprofit my whole life because that's what AARP was. And you know, corporate America, just, I'm like, I'm thinking about the money, the opportunities, the, you know, just all of that. So when they sent me the, the letter, the, the offer, the offer letter, I'm sitting in my office, that same office I was swinging around in the chair. I'm sitting there and I'm looking at Adrena and it was more money than I had ever seen in my life. And I was amazed. I was amazed. I'm just like, what? <laughs> they gonna pay me this like for real like wow okay but then something came over me and it was like if they gonna pay you this they got some more (laughs) come on hold on I don't know where that came from that had to come from God because nobody told me that I, I didn't have that mentor yet the person that I talked to about salary and stuff right mm-hmm. but you know most black people wasn't making a lot of money and we didn't like talking about money we still don't like talking about yeah. it, okay and so I, I don't know where that came from but I thank God that it poured into my spirit and so what happened was I got the letter HR called. They're like, did you get the letter? I'm like, yes, I did. Um, have you made a decision yet? No. I'll call you back. Click. Here you go. Call him, telling people you're going to call him back and hang up. Here you go. <laughs> Two days later. Two days later. The phone rings. I'm like, hi, this is Dawn. Because remember, I'm still at my job, right? So I'm, hi, this is Dawn. Your college is Dawn. Hello, Dawn. This is Bob. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> I'm like, hi, Bob. How you doing? He's like, hi, I'm fine. How you doing? I'm I'm great. He's like, um, HR told me that they sent you the letter. Did you get the letter? So I said, yes, sir, I did. He said, is uh, everything okay? I said, well, he said, what you need? What you need? Tell me what you need. And I said, well, I was looking for a little bit more money. And Drina. He said, tell me how much. I said a number. He said, you got it. I said, I'll take the job. Girl. Wow. Girl. So <laughs> I learned another lesson. I learned another lesson. And see, God is shining on me because I'm telling the truth right now. I learned a lesson that if you believe that you're worth more, you have to, you have to hold on to that and you have to be courageous enough to ask for what you think you're worth. 
all they can say is no. Mm-hmm. Guess what? They might say yes. Yeah. And that started my nearly 16-year career with Prudential Financial. It was one of the most wonderful, wonderful, wonderful jobs I have ever had in my entire life. I just love your journey, Dawn. You already had me crying. You had me like pulling up a Bible scripture to say because I was like, I didn't, first of all, I didn't know. I didn't know you had to teach your kids to ride the bus every, like you taught them every weekend. So then that you could take that job in Newark. So they would be safe enough to go to school every single day. That it just, my mother was a single mother growing up. Literally, she taught me and my brother how to walk to school from our house from our house to our school, which was like blocks away so she could be to work on time. So I just, oh, Dawn, you know, I love you, girl. I'm trying not to cry. So, yeah, I, I mean, you know, like I call me and my kids three the hard way, right? You know, after the movie, because, um, come on, um, because, you know, I, I didn't plan on being divorced, right? I had hoped and prayed because my I'm I am the I am the child of a di- of divorced parent and I suffered from that. And I never wanted my kids to have to live through that. I tried to fight for my marriage, but ultimately I had to fight for me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm glad I did that. I I I you know, I'm I'm not upset that I did that. And I feel like both my kids have learned a tremendous lot from the journey that we took together because I took them everywhere with me. I mean, uh, one great thing about Prudential was, you know, they paid me a good salary and um, they cared about family because, you know, insurance is is a family product, right? Mm -hmm. Financial services is a family product. And so they cared about family. And so, they made it so if you were if you had to travel for the company, you could take your kids with you and put them in, in daycare centers in different countries and states around the world. And so wow. whenever I could, I took my kids with me. Like if I, you know, one thing I say to them is y'all gonna have to take care of me later because I don't spend all my money <laughs> when, when you was young. But that's what I would do. Like, especially during summertime, you know, whenever they were out of school and I had to travel for work, um, I would take them with me. Um, sometimes I would even take my mom so that they could like, you know, venture out and, and see the city, you know, sightsee while I'm working. And then when I'm off of work, then I have my family with me because, you know, being a corporate executive can be really lonely, especially being a black female corporate executive, because mm-hmm. most of the time I was the only one, right? Um, especially traveling all around the world. I was the only one. And not to say that my colleagues weren't friendly to me. They were, most of them. But you know, after you work all day, you don't want to be with the same people. So, <laughs> um, so I would take my kids and it, and it was lovely. And the, and the great part about that is now I took my daughter and my son to New Orleans because it's one of my favorite places in the world. And now my daughter lives in New Orleans. So I, I realized how yeah. um, you planted the seeds. Yeah, those things that I did growing up, you know, growing them and raising them, they took hold. They took, they may not, they may not like to tell me that, but I realized that they definitely did take hold. As a black woman in this industry, well, who's had an extensive career in this industry, before you t- made this pivot to now being an entrepreneur, what were some of the 
you know, I just love to hear some of the groundbreaking moments of your career, specifically at Prudential, because you were there for some time. Like, I just, just share with me maybe like a few of your favorite moments while working there, some nuggets you pulled from like your experience there that people can, who are listening could take along their journey. There were so many fun moments at Prudential. I'm going to start like, okay, so when I was a manager, so because I I got promoted like five times at Prudential. So when I was a manager, the best thing that I did, um, I guess a milestone moment for me was when the company was celebrating its 125th anniversary. I was actually on the committee to help plan um, how we were going to celebrate the anniversary. And I got to promote it to the world. And we got coverage all over the world with that work. And so I was really, really proud of that. So that's one. I would say when I was a director, what was one of the most important things? I think just the, the, oh, I know what that one is. I was able to cajole Bob Filippo and HR into allowing me to start a internship program for, for college students from Howard University. <laughs> and that program lasted till I left Prudential. Really? Um, yes, yes. And as a result, even though I didn't graduate from Howard from communication school, I graduated from the liberal arts school, the communication school put a picture up of me in the building. (laughs) (laughs) And how, and how I knew that was, um, one of my interns uh, actually said to me when she came to the building, came to the building to interview me, she's like, that's you, 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 there's a picture of you on the wall. So that's how I found out that there was a picture of me up in the building. So I really appreciated that opportunity. My next role, this was wonderful. One fun opportunity. We had an executive, a female executive who flew planes and she and her partner decided to compete in an air race. Now, The only time I've ever heard of an air race, A-I-R race, was watching Bullwinkle on television. Like they were flying planes? Yes, around the world, okay? And and it was a race. So like they time you from this country to this country. Then you get some time to chill and, you know, refuel a plane. And then, yeah, this rich people stuff. Right. I was like, uh, okay. But listen. It was not just her. It was it was people from all over the world, princes and sh- I mean like important people. And I got to hang out with them. <laughs> so she was it was my account, right? It was my project. And so I got to go to London, okay, where the Queen of England held an event for all of the people at the air race. And guess who your girl met? Ah. I didn't meet the queen. I met Prince Philip. Hey, I'm hanging out with her husband though. <laughs> Listen, I'm sure Dawn from Harlem never even imagined that. Oh, let me tell you. I, Drina, I have so many like 
pinch myself, crying moments. I'm going to tell you one story. So most of the time when I traveled around the world for Prudential, I traveled on, you know, the regular airline, right? You know, on the Delta, you know, American or whatever. But every once in a while, you might get lucky and get a phone call from the 24th floor where the CEO of the company resides. You know, I feel like I'm where the money resides. Where the money, money resides. <laughs> <laughs> and so fortunately for me, I was friends with the CEO's executive assistant. Her name was Maureen Ficken. And Maureen and I traveled from New York City to Newark together on the train. Okay. And again, relationships matter. And it didn't matter that I was an executive and that she was mm-hmm. an assistant. Okay. She was a kind woman. Mm-hmm. And I friendly young woman and I liked her. And so we used to talk about our mothers all the time. Okay. And just talk about life. And so she's the one that made the CEO, Mr. Ryan's travel arrangements. Okay. She's the one that booked that corporate jet. Okay. (laughs) So would you believe that as a result of our friendship, Every once in a while, if I had to go the same place as the CEO, (laughs) I got to fly on the corporate. Really? Yes. And let me tell you something. The first time that that happened to me, two things. She called me on the phone. She said, Dawn, did you make your arrangements to go to Taiwan? I said, not yet. Why are you asking? She said, because you're going on a corporate jet. I said, Maureen, stop playing. No joke. That's not funny. Why are you doing that? (laughs) Right? Why are you doing that? Why you getting my hopes up like that? Stop playing, okay? She like, I'm not playing. I said, wait, wait, wait. I said, okay. Did you ask Bob? Because Bob was going too. I'm like, did Jerry get this phone call? Because I can't say yes if they not going on the plane, uh-huh. right? Yeah, uh-huh. smart. Okay? And so she said, you know what? You a smart cookie, right? You know how they talk. She's like, you a smart cookie. She said, I'll call you back. She hung up the phone. She must have called and, you know, invited Bob to be on the jet because before she could call me back, who was on my phone? Jerry, Geraldine DeFrino. Dear, (laughs) you're a smart young lady, dear. I was told that you had been invited to be on the corporate jet. I said, yes, ma'am, but I didn't say yes. (laughs) (laughs) She said, I said yes for you, dear, because Bob is now on the jet and you're on the jet, too. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, girl. How you act on that jet, Dawn? How did you act on that jet? (laughs) I cried. I cried. I cried. I cried. I I could not stop crying. When that jet pulled off from Tina Barrow Airport. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, I forgot something. First, I had to send a car to pick me up to take me to Tina Barrow Airport. And at that time, my grandfather was living. My grandfather, who is now deceased. My grandfather could not get over that there was a black limousine outside with a man with a hat on asking for his granddaughter. My grandfather was so beside himself because, you know, you know, he's like 
you know, yeah. he was just like two generations out of slavery. Like, you know, he he suffered a lot of segregation and racism as a young man. So for him to see that happening to his granddaughter, I'm going to tell you, my grandfather was, as we say in the hood, fit to be tied. He, I mean, it was, it was, it was too much for him. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so I get in a the car, they take me to Teterboro. I get on this little plane, you know, the chairman's there, Bob is there. It's just us three. I'm in my head screaming because I cannot. Wow, wait, it was just the three of y'all? Yes. Yes. I'm screaming in my head. I can't believe this is my life. I'm screaming. Like, like, if if it was a cartoon, it was this girl just screaming. Like, how did this happen to you? Like, what did you do to deserve this? Like even the imposter syn- the imposter syndrome was like screaming at me. It was so many things. And so, and so hey, um, God, that put you on that jet. And so Mr. Ryan said to me, I had like these little earphones, you know, like them little earphones we have um, with my iPad, not, not, not my iPod. Remember it was the uh-huh. iPod. So with my iPod, listening to my music. And so he said to me, he always used to call me Kelly. And that was because his daughter was named Kelly. He never called me Dawn. He always called me Kelly. And he said, Kelly. And I said, yes, Mr. Ryan. He was like, that's my daddy name. I'm like, okay, all right, all right, all right. I said, (laughs) yes. He says, you can't hear nothing with those. And I'm like, huh? Not realizing what he was talking about. He's like, we up in the air. You can't hear nothing with those earphones. Use these. And girl, he gave me his Bose noise canceling earphones. And so I put them on my ears. And then I wrapped myself in a blanket. Because, you know, we were traveling. We're like, it's 20-something hours, right? And so I wrapped myself in a blanket. And then the tears. I had to put the the blanket over my head because the tears, I could not stop crying because I kept saying, I'm a little girl from the projects. Like my parents, like they was 19 and 20. Like I, I don't think that they even thought that this was the kind of life that I would have. I'm on a corporate check with the CEO of the company. Like, how is this my life? And so that was one of the most funnest trips because we went to Taiwan. We went to, we did an Asia tour. We went to Taiwan. We went to Japan and we went to Korea. And I traveled on all of those you know, with him there. And it just was wonderful. And, you know, I got to be with the CEO like like he was you, like he was like one of my friends. And so as a result of that, as long as Mr. Ryan was chairman, I could do no wrong at Prudential. Wow. He, he also was one of my advocates. That's amazing, Dawn. I did not know that. Yes. And then, okay, so that's that's that. And then 
they gave me the international insurance. And so I traveled all around the world. That was big, you know, going to Polish castles, you know, like I told you, being with the prince, you know, I've seen more of this world than I ever in my life thought I would. And then the big work came and that was the two surveys that Alicia and I did on behalf of the company about financial experiences and behaviors of African-Americans. You know, I will forever, ever be proud of that work, as well as all of the young people that I was able to hire and mentor um, at, at Prudential, some of which are still there. Wow. Mm-mm-mm. Come on, Trailblazer at Pro. <laughs> from the projects <laughs> yes I can't believe it I really can't so now I, I kind of I want to just pivot now to talk about the Nourish Spot because I'm so proud of you in this new venture I remember when you broke ground on it and, and redid the entire you know space and you know you were scared this was a new journey for you and to see you flourish in the short time since you've launched the business has been amazing to see. Thank you. Thank you very much. But I couldn't have done it without the help of my son, Owen, who's 31, and my daughter, Jade. Family business, yeah. Who's somewhere around here right now who helps me um, do everything. So um, we did that together and I'm proud. Like I, I, that's another thing, you know, I'm a big crybaby. I'll say that up front, you know, I'm very emotional and I did not know how to run my own business, right? I didn't. All I knew is that I had something left in me to give. I initially started doing PR on the side because I do that without thinking, but it really wasn't what I want. I'm not going to say it wasn't what I wanted to do, but I don't think that was God's plan for me. He had a different plan and I had already started my own health journey as I was leaving Prudential because, you know, one great thing about about working in corporate America, especially as an executive, you know, you're always someplace eating or someplace drinking or, you know, schmoozing with people. You know, I wasn't necessarily sleeping like I should. And I know I, um, because of the ch- change in time frames, you know, I wasn't, my diet, my weight, all of that was off. And so I had started my own health journey because I had gotten to a point where I was really kind of unhealthy. And so it just seems, it seems ironic to me that God would have led me to do a health store, health, you know, health haven in alignment with my own health journey. So I'm able to use my own story, right? To talk to people about why I believe it's important for them to eat and drink healthier. And so you were kind of, forced into, not forced into entrepreneurship, but it was, you want to, okay. You were kind of forced into entrepreneurship after leaving Prudential after your long career there. And let's just talk a little bit about that journey, about how you came to where you are today, where you've already won awards. I know there's some franchise opportunities on the horizon, which I'm like, yes, do Um <laughs> But I want to just talk about that process of like pivoting from the PR communication field to now the health 
health industry and, you know, you know, coupling that with your personal journey, like, did you know, like, you know, is this like when you were trying to figure out your next move where you automatically like, I'm going to just go ahead and do this? No. <laughs> so no. honestly, what happened was, I, as I mentioned before, I was, I had started a PR firm, mm-hmm. a PR consultancy um, with another friend of mine. And, you know, we were getting little jobs here and there, but it wasn't necessarily fulfilling me and it wasn't necessarily using all my time. And I'm a person, I need to be busy, right? Idle time is devil workshop and I don't want to do anything bad. So I try to keep busy, whether I'm learning, you know, helping others, but I try to keep busy. And so I actually had went on another job interview, Right. But while I was in the job interview, um, you know, when you, I, I know, you know, because you've, you've gone out for a job before, you know, you've competed for jobs, but when you get to the end, they want you to meet your staff and the team and the people. Mm-hmm. So I think I was really at the end of this job competition, if you will. Um, they wanted to offer me the job. So they actually had me in to meet the team members. And I would tell you that by the time I got to the fifth one, I was like, I don't want to work here. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, the last person that I saw was a young lady that really pissed me off. I, I, I don't have any other way to say it, but she really pissed me off. And I walked out of the interview pretty much just said to her, this is over. I don't want to work here. When they ask you what happened, tell them I don't want to work here because of you. Okay. I got to go. <laughs> and so I put my stuff on and I walked out the building. And when I got outside, I cried. I cried. I threw my pumps. I don't know where they at. And I told God that you take care of babies and fools and I'm no baby. So I'm going to go home and I'm going to, you know, just continue to pray until you show me something. I would tell you that that show me something was instantaneous. So be careful what you ask God for because he may answer quickly and you might not be ready. Okay. So I got home. I sat on my bed, cross-legged. I was crying because I did feel a little stupid for walking out of the interview for not being able to maintain my anger. But I realized that if I was angry in the interview, I would probably be angry in the job. Uh, So it wouldn't make sense to put myself in that type of predicament. So I said to God, you got to help me. You know, I'm in tears. I'm like, you got to help me. I don't know what to do. Like, I can't just be traveling all the time. I need money coming in. Like, I, you know, I have somebody stashed, but I don't want it to go all the way. And then I don't know what to do. And no joke. I keep CNN on in my room. You know, I don't know about other PR yeah. people, but I love the news. Okay. Yeah. I, I just love the news. It's, it's kind of weird. <laughs> Me too. Gabe, my son Gabe is always like, mommy, the news is on again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and I think, I think it's because as PR people, we dissect how they covered it, the angle they used, mm-hmm. who I could have pitched that better, you know. So I'm watching CNN and no joke, Drina, I'm in tears. I'm praying, uh, you know, under my breath and I hear on the TV. Next up, Styles P opens Juice Bar, Westchester. I'm like, <laughs> Juice Bar? Hmm. I could do that. Especially because you've already been on your own personal journey. Yes, mm-hmm. right? I'm like, I, 
I could do a juice bar. Like, wow. And then I swear, I heard this little voice in my head say, look at your phone. Pick up your phone. And so I pick up my phone. I go on Instagram. And what's on Instagram, Drina? All them juices I was drinking from Planet Smoothie, right? Oh, I had a red juice today. It was beef, this, that, right? I'm like, wow. And then as I'm looking through my phone, I notice that I've taken pictures of menus. I have taken pictures of cups. I have taken pictures of uh, the way restaurants look. I didn't know I was doing that, okay? Wow. You know, like I was doing it not knowing yeah. that the bar was in my future because you know me. Have I ever said anything to you? <laughs> no. Never, okay? And so I was so intrigued buy it. Okay. I watched the segment about three times. Right. But then again, I told you this at the, at the beginning of this conversation, I talked to God, like I'm talking to you. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm like, so where it's going to be at. Okay. So you telling me to do this juice ball, where is it going to be? Coming at, at? So God's you neck. Said, you coming at his neck. Yeah. Well, that's how I talk to God. I'm like, you, t- you telling me to do a juice ball. Where it's going to be? Where it's going to be? Because you know I don't want to be traveling all the way to no Newark, New Jersey no more. Like, I, you got to make it easy for me. Where it's going to be? And again, I heard that small voice in my ear say, go on God Brewer. Now, God Brewer is a main street in my neighborhood, mm-hmm. okay? And so, I ain't going to lie. On one hand, I'm like, I'm losing my mind. I'm hearing things. But I was at my wit's end. Yeah. So, I'm like, I ain't got nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. If I'm crazy, I'm going to go with it. <laughs> I'm going to go with it. So Jay was home. She hadn't moved yet. And so I said to her, um, can you come with me on God, Brewer? And she said, for what? And I said, um, because God said, she just looked at me like, oh, she crazy. <laughs> but but because I'm her mama, she, she went, came Yes. She did. And so I got outside on God Brewer and I looked to the left and I saw nothing. And I got a little scared that maybe I was going crazy and maybe I was hearing things and maybe I'm just like just bonkers. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then I heard Jay say, Mommy, you got to look to the right. Don't give up. You Mm got to. And so I put my head down, quickly said another prayer. I said to God, please don't make me a fool in front of my daughter. I can can manage a lot, but don't make me a fool in front of my child. And girl, I put my head up and I saw it. The awning where my store, where our store is right now. It said. D K upholstery. What's my name, Drina? <laughs> Dawn Kelly. Hey, and where is the nearest spot in that very, wow. very venue? Right there in that spot. And the funny thing, the man that used to be in there, his name is David. He lives, he he actually moved to the the storefront next door to me. And so now the instead of it saying DK upholstery, it now says the nourish spot. And let me tell you this. Last year, 2019, the day before Christmas, everybody had went home. 
I'm sitting in the store and I am just marveling over what God has done in my life with that store. And it hit me what upholstery meant. You see, upholstery means you make over a couch or a chair. Mm -hmm. And so I said, oh my God, the sign said what my life was going to be. DK made over. (laughs) And that's what the Nourish Spot has been for me. It has. when you know, I, I've had to, I've had to really think about what the Nourish Spot has turned into. It's a dream that has now turned into impact. A dream turns into impact. I never, in my wildest dreams, thought that we would be doing the things that we're doing now. Not only do we have, not only are we a culinary and internship train, hospitality internship training ground. Come on. We out an employer. We got nine employees. (laughs) One of our employees, we've mentored and coached him so much that he established his own business in a pandemic. And he is 19. You know, we partner with all of the fraternities and the sororities in the neighborhood with all elected officials. Our senator named me 2020 Woman of Distinction. Come on. I'm like, and listen, and, and, and come on. Wait, and, and, and Beyonce, <laughs> Beyonce picked the Nourish Spa for a Bay Good Impact grant, and then she put our gate on her website. I'm, listen. I'm overwhelmed. Like, I, I can't even tell you how overwhelmed some days I am. I just lay on my bed and I just look up at the ceiling and I'm just like, wow, God, you amazing. Like, because I this is not, I never planned this. Okay. You know, I was telling people that I was an accidental entrepreneur, but I'm changing that. I am a divine entrepreneur. The divine planned this for me, okay? He planned nourish to flourish, okay? And I'm just, and me, my daughter, and our staff, we're just the vehicles that make God's plan work. And I'm just thankful, I'm grateful, and I feel so very blessed. Mm. Dawn, I I don't even know what to say after that because- (laughs) You've answered all of my questions without me even asking them. But I do, you know, because I remember when you started uh, the Nourish Spot. I remember when, I remember that period between leaving Peru and here. And even when you launched the Nourish Spot. But I want to ask, like, especially for people who are in a space where, you know, right now they may have lost their job because of the pandemic. They're trying to figure out their next step. They have a dream they want to bring to fruition. They don't know how but they may see your road or they may see my road or they may may see the path that other entrepreneurs have taken and see the success now. What would you attribute to keep you going throughout that whole tumultuous journey? Like the whining curves of like 
this entrepreneurial journey that you're now on that you, it seems like, you know, I don't want to say you're at the end of the entrepreneurial journey because I'm sure you have other businesses that are going to come up, but what would you attribute to, you know, keeping you on that road that you just, when you don't even know like what's on the end, what's around the next curve? You know, I think about that a lot. I do. I think about that a lot. And I think one, I'm driven and I'm trying to say this in the right way. When I was younger, you know, I would get in trouble a lot, probably as most black kids do. And sometimes the feedback that I would get from my mom or my, some of my family members wouldn't necessarily be encouraging, right? I think that probably it was psychology, right? Because if you tell somebody, if you tell somebody what they won't be, then hopefully that, that will spur them to work even harder, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that that's what the psychology that my mother used on me, mm-hmm. right? They want to lose me to the streets, which is easy in New York, um, especially with a, she was a single mom. So, you know, trying to hold on to her children, you know? And so I believe, because I, I you know, I'm, I've been thinking about this and, and I truly believe that her saying those things to me just made me driven that I'm going to show them, you know, I'm, I'm going I'm to show them that I can not only be something, I can be more than what they imagine and what I imagine. And so I attribute it to being driven. I also attribute it to perseverance, right? You know, um, I'm one of those, you know, never give up type of chicks, right? I'm very person, I'm, I'm very persevering. I once I put my hands in something, I'ma try to hold on to it until it wins. Okay. Once it wins, I might get tired and want to do something different. Right. But I'm going to hold on to it till it wins. And then last and not least, it's my faith. You know, I, I, I truly know that if God gives me something, he ain't giving it to me to fail. All right. He gave it to me to win and to show other people if they follow him, they can win, too. How about that? And so. I have, as I've matured, as I've gotten older, I realized that as long as I do the right thing, as long as I stay on the right path, as long as I try to help as many people that I can, then the Lord is going to walk in lockstep with me and make sure that the nourished spot flourishes and I'm going to continue to be obedient and listening to that little voice in my ear and follow it because it hasn't let me down yet. Mm. Sarah Jakes Roberts has this sermon that I listen to over and over again. And one of the lines that she says in it that just resonates with me like every single day, but also, you know, just hearing your story and talking to you about your journey, I feel like it would resonate with you as well. She says, if God put me in it, then there is victory connected to it. Yes. Let me tell you something. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Okay. And, and I, and I say, if God brought me to it, he'll bring me through. Okay. So, So I, listen, 
Drina, uh, I could be perpetually crying tears of joy every day. 2020 has been magnanimous. Mm. I was talking to somebody the other day and I was like, you know, I'm trying my best not to have survivor's guilt or survivor's remorse, right? Because so many businesses are suffering. So many businesses have closed, but God has anointed, blessed, just just opened the windows of heaven and just poured out blessings on the nourish spot in 2020. I mean, every time we turn around, we're either in a newspaper article or a television station. We're being invited to participate in something. We're getting an award or another grant. And listen, all those skills that I learned on behalf of AARP, on behalf of your college, on behalf of Prudential Financial, I've been able to utilize all of those skills and all of those relationships that I made with people along the way to benefit Nourish and to benefit the community and to benefit my family and I. Listen, I'm so proud of my 2019 micro business. Come on, come on. I don't know what else to say, but thank you, Jesus, Jade, and Owen. (laughs) Dawn, thank you so much for joining me today. I mean, this has been amazing for me to hear and just to talk to you about your journey. I've learned so many things that I didn't even know about you before today's conversation. And then just just to hear every single step of your career and to see where you are today, I'm just so proud of you as a friend, as a mentee, as a sister in business, and I just love you. And I already know 2021 <laughs> is going to be lit for you. If this yeah. is what your 2020 was like, you've been blessed tremendously. I already know 2021 is going to offer the same, if not more. I'm so excited. And I thank you so much, Drina. And listen, I hope that your listeners will come. Let us nourish you at the Nourish Spot. We're located at 10705 Guy R. Brewer Boulevard in Jamaica, Queens. You could call us at 718-526-2099, or you can follow us on social media at The Nourish Spot. Thank you so much, darling. I appreciate you. Dawn is still a publicist at heart. You see that? She listed out the address, the phone number, and the social media handles. I was going to ask you to do that anyway. But listen, you're like, I'm not going to wait for you to ask me to do that. I'm going to do it myself. <laughs> Come on, publicist to the end. <laughs> Thank you, Dawn. I love you so much. <laughs>